to make more of you. Uh, so the scripture for today comes from John 1, 43 through 46. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. And then Ephesians 4.25. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. The word of the Lord. Let's see if this, uh, I'm Hannah. I'm the teaching pastor here at Urban Village Church, and I'm so, so glad to be here with you today. Um, if you talk about me, you can use the pronouns she and her, and if you are the praying kind, I would invite you to pray with me. God of grace and mercy and power, God who made the city of Chicago, thank you, Lord. God who made us and our joy, God, who is with us in our sorrow, we ask you to be with us in this moment and every moment going forward. We know that you always are, God, but we pray that we could feel you and feel your presence. And that in the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts, and the movements of our bodies, oh God, we would be led by you. And if we should not be, that we would notice, call one another in as a community, and re-begin again with you on your paths towards the glory of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So um, because ultimately at the end of the day, I'm kind of basic, uh, one of the first things I ever got when I moved to the city of Chicago was a Chicago neighborhood map. Um, the old school one that has all of the pretty letters and I have it on my wall. Um, and this is a kind of new school one, but it's a little easier to parse. And I wanted to bring you the real thing today, but when I tried to, to bring it over, it started to tear because I've had it for so very long. Because on my Chicago neighborhood map, ever since I moved here um, 16 years ago, I've kept track of places that are really important to me, of places that have meant something to me, of places where something happened to me or to my family um, that changed me or changed our path or became a place where we met God. And so I wanted to share a couple of those with you today, and I'll be using both that one up here and this one, depending on, you know, how tall I am and how far I can reach. <laughs> so I look at my map, and I remember that um, right here is in Hyde Park is where I had my first apartment in Chicago, the first place that was mine, my very own. And, uh, you know, none of the walls really weren't crumbling, and none of the uh, showers or sinks didn't have leaks, but hey, I was there, and I was with roommates, and it was my first apartment. And a little bit near there is where I had my first date with my husband, and a little bit south of there is where we went to our first concert together, and a little bit west of there, over in Englewood, 
is where I had one of my very first um, work things at my first job where I really like was in charge all by myself and like I had to do the things and I was so nervous I could barely breathe and my entire body was shaking and I wanted it to go well so bad. And it was this event um, bringing together youth groups of different religious communities to tackle lead poisoning in Englewood in the basement of a church, Englewood Greater United Methodist. And I walked into that basement full of my nerves and full of my anxiety. And Jean Carter Hill, who began Imagine Englewood If, a nonprofit dedicated to the nonprofit, looked at me, <laughs> told me to calm down and chill out a little bit and had me come over and do the wobble with the kids. <laughs> and I learned something about how useful and not useful anxiety is when you want something to be good. Over here in the loop um, is where my grandmother tragically died before I was born. And just a little bit north of that at Northwestern is where my grandfather died when I was 11, having known him and having had him change almost everything about me. A little bit south of that in the South Loop, because cities change, is where legend says my great uncle spent every night of his adulthood drinking and gambling, and where my brother now lives in a shiny high-rise with a pool. <laughs> Neighborhoods, they don't stay the same. Up here in Andersonville is where we used to visit the Swedish American Museum every year to learn our history. And afterwards, my mom and dad would take us to women and children first. Um, because they also wanted us to be little feminist babies. And over here is the breakfast diner I was sitting in eating blueberry pancakes when I went into labor with my second child. And over here is the little breakfast diner I was sitting in eating blueberry pancakes when I went into labor with my first. <laughs> so if anybody ever, you know, needs some help, give it a try. <laughs> Up here on the far northwest side in Jeff Park is the first time I was ever driving a car and it got stuck in the snow and I did not know what to do and I stood outside it almost in tears until a man I did not know came down the alley and said, you stuck, honey? And I said, yeah. And he helped me dig out every single wheel and shelled, show me what to do if you're ever stuck. And over here is where I got proposed to, and over here is where my mom told me that my parents were getting divorced, and over here is where I met the therapist who helped me um, deal with my depression for the first time in my life so that I could be transformed and know God's love of me in my body as well as in my mind and in my soul. And there are a thousand other dots on this map of places where things happen to me, good and bad, and a thousand dots more where they will with my children, <laughs> where I'll learn things about how Chicago makes them who they are and how Chicago makes me who I am and how it took every single one of these neighborhoods and communities and every single one of these neighbors willing to help me <laughs> to make me a person who could know God in this place, who could know love in this place, and who could, in my own transformation, decide that I'm going to be just as committed to showing love here and to trying to make a difference to the neighbors that I meet on the hardest day of their life or the day when they're nervous at work or the day when they get stuck in the snow and I can show them just how to twist right that wheel to get out of it. The places that you love make you who you are, and then you get to remake them again. 
And that is one of the most beautiful things that we know in God, one of the things that Jesus says over and over and over again, that if you don't know me yet or you don't know how to live with me or how to live in me, pay attention to your neighbors. Love your neighbors and you will find me and you will find out how to live in and with me. But then the reality we know is that we live in a society that is broken by white supremacy and enforced poverty and segregation over time that encourages us to, instead of being Christ-like neighbors, be a part of systems that oppress and hurt our neighbors and ask us to see our neighbors or fellow neighborhoods and say, Nazareth, that place, the west side, what good can come out of there, right? The systems of the world, the powers and principalities that seek us to contribute to one another's pain rather than to one another's growth, often do so by breaking our neighborly connections. By saying, you can only care about your family and your block. Leave everybody else behind or you'll come out last, right? Don't let them invest in other places because then you'll lose. Instead of having us believe that it is only together that we ever win at all. (laughs) That it is only if every boat is lifted that any of us are saved. It is only by being wrapped up in one another that we can experience joy and love and salvation. It's every neighborhood in the city. (laughs) It's every suburb that surrounds us. It's every state, even Indiana, if you're from Illinois, or even, right, even Ohio State, if you love Michigan, even those neighbors that are the hardest to love, you will not know God without them. And so we have been trying to live into that and trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian in the middle of that, a lot of ways, but in part through the Folded Map Project, where this little map came from, where a wonderful artist named Tonika Johnson from Chicago herself encourages us to get to know our own neighborhoods better than we might, and then to fold the map that has so often been segregated and divided, either across a north-south line or an east-west line, depending on where you are and you know, where your least known neighbors are, and get to know them. And we here in Woodlawn Hyde Park, um, if we folded the map right, we'd end up in the lake. (laughs) So we move slightly west (laughs) so that we aren't, you know, talking to the fishes, talking to the trout as our neighbors. And and we're going to be exploring this afternoon Rogers Park, um, which is actually where I live. So I'm really excited to go with you all and to see what it might mean to care just as much about this neighborhood and that neighborhood, and also to see what it might mean to demand that our city cares about both. One of the interesting things that Rogers Park and Hyde Park Woodlawn have in common, or Hyde Park at least, right, um, this is a community of multiple neighborhoods, is that they're two of the only substantively racially integrated neighborhoods in the city. Um, Hyde Park was the first racially integrated neighborhood in the city, maybe in the country, depending on how you count it, and Rogers Park has become more integrated um, in the last 30 to 40 years after the Immigration Act, right, made the country a place where different people could come and different people could be. Um, And (laughs) by their very difference from the neighborhoods surrounding, you begin to see what city investment and disinvestment do and don't do, right? I think all of us, if we've ever been in multiple parts of the city, 
can tell when we're in a place where money has been put into the bus lines and trains, and we can tell in when we're in a place where it has not. We can tell when we're in a place where the alderman gets the funding they need to fill every pothole and fill every crack in the sidewalk, and we can tell when we're in a place where it has not. And Rogers Park, by virtue of being a much higher percentage of people of color than the neighborhoods that surround it, often gets less investment than its neighbors, right? That is, folks in the neighborhood are slowly trying to change that. Um, and you can tell when you go to the, the places there. Um, some of you may have heard of, it got a little bit famous in the last year, uh, one of our high schools in Rogers Park, which is sometimes known as Refugee High, um, because over 38 languages are spoken there, and it's where most um, refugees and asylees on the north side of the city end up going to school. And a book was just written about their fight to get more funding for their English language learners and for their um, immigrant support programs, and they had to fight for every single dollar, for every single cent. And you, you begin to wonder, like, what would it be like to live in a city where that was one of the number one priorities, right? Where we just said, of whatever project we're doing. In Hyde Park, you see the opposite. You see the ways in which Hyde Park, because it is whiter than the neighborhood surrounding it, gets more invested in by the city and by the state than the neighborhoods that are near, right? The ways in which the bus stops and train stops that folks in this neighborhood need to use um, are not destroyed as 63rd Street Green Line was, but instead are invested in and made usable. And you also begin to ask, as our city budget gets put together this fall, what would it mean <laughs> if we said, whoever has been historically disinvested in in this city, that's where the money goes first? What if we looked at those couple billion dollars we had and instead of saying, we don't have enough, right? We're in debt or we need to do this, we need to do this. We said, you know what we do first? We spend every dollar we need to spend to make sure no child gets shot next year. Those, those are the dollars we spend first. First, we spend the dollars to make sure that everybody's fed and has a job and has a way to get to school safely. Those are the dollars we spend first. And then if we happen to run out for TIFFs or for the police or for whatever other project City Hall had on its mind, those are the things that we can cut. Those are the things that we can leave off the table. What if we said the dollars go first to wherever Jesus would have gone first had he landed here instead of in Canaan? What if we said the neighbors who we will love, the neighbors who we will come and see, the neighbors without whom we do not exist, the neighbors who we are membered with, are all of our neighbors, but most especially those most vulnerable. And we are not living up to our faith or to the promise of our city. The city, right? The city that... The people who originally lived here, the Potawatomi, the Ho-Chunk, the Miami, were forcibly expelled at great cost of life, attempted genocide, and yet those people survived and came back, and this is the third largest urban native area in the country, right? And they continue to run our city, to shape our city, and the American Indian Center and many other nonprofits. This is a city <laughs> that was started by a black man, right? Jean-Baptiste de Sable, and yet when his story was lost, we took it back and we said, let us remember where our city really came from. This is a city that was on fire, burned to the ground. 
and yet the next day the headline on the newspaper read, we will return. <laughs> we will be resurrected, we will come back. What if we took that strength and said, that strength is not for making money. That strength is not about whether the stockyards come back and it's not about whether the Chicago Stock Exchange comes back. That strength is about whether our people are whole and healthy and beloved. And that is what Jesus is calling us to do.